What I think that we should also be quite mindful of is that there's also a, a psychological and a behavioural element to this as well. You know, when you work in hospitality, we are programmed or we are fueled by making sure that other people have the right experiences and we're, we're, we're almost... The, the power of saying no is something that we really, really struggle with. You know, being able to be able to say... Firstly, no, I can't take on anymore or I'm not able to do those reports or I'm not able to follow that process because I do not have any spare capacity. That's something that you won't often hear within a hospitality environment because unfortunately we'll just say yes and we'll take on more and more and more. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Burnt Chef Journal, a hospitality-specific podcast dedicated to challenging mental health stigma and conversations designed to inspire a new, healthier, happier, and more sustainable hospitality profession. This week's session is brought to you in association with the Institute of Hospitality, who have invited myself and one of our chief ambassadors, Scott Turner, to be part of a conversation around the secrets of great retention. The conversation's probably only about 45 minutes long, and to be honest with you, we probably could have done with a lot longer because it turns out that it's a, it's a hot topic, and a lot of people are interested in discussing this. So if you are a leader, if you work in an organization, if you're looking for a new role that wants to look at actually what workplaces should be focusing on when it comes down to retention, then this is a great episode for you, and I very much hope that you enjoy this week's episode. The Burnt Chef Project is proudly sponsored by Lamb Weston, a leading provider of innovative, high-quality potato products created for chefs to help operators thrive both today and tomorrow. Working carefully with sustainably-minded farmers and growers, Lamb Weston provides potato solutions for every type of kitchen, from premium British chips and fries to potato shapes, wedges, and mash. To find out more, Head to lambweston.eu or search your partner in potatoes. Good morning, everyone who's watching this now and, and listening later on. I'm the CEO of a social enterprise called The Burnt Chef Project, which if you haven't come across The Burnt Chef Project, is well worth checking out. We initially started off as a mental health awareness campaign on the south coast of England in Bournemouth through photography and we have grown over the last sort of four years to be a global support network, an educational tool, an awareness campaign, a merchandise brand in over 120 odd countries now. So what we're specifically looking at doing is trying to educate and support the hospitality industry into creating sustainable people-focused change. So we're very, very fortunate to be joined by Scott as well. So Scott, if you wouldn't mind giving yourself a Bit of an introduction, please, sir. A pat on the back, I thought you were going to say then. Hi, I'm Scott. Really good to see so many people we recognise on the call today. So thank you very much for coming. I am the founder of Odin Hospitality. We're a hospitality agency who works with hoteliers and operators to help them think differently to grow their business. So what does that mean? That means we go in, we speak to operators, hoteliers, we look at what their pain points and challenges are, and we help them put a plan in place that over six to nine months can help them navigate through that. And I always do it with a people-centric perspective. So obviously, we're talking about retention today. We're about to give you all the secrets. 
to what we're seeing in operations every day. But we do that with a people-centric way because we just find that it gets implemented and it gets engaged with in a much better way. And when we get to the end of our time with operations, we can leave with a legacy that continues after. So that's a little bit about what we do. We also have a procurement business that works with, uh, again, with kind of zero to 10 locations, hotels, helps them with their supply chain procurement and purchasing. Year to date, we've said £500,000 worth of savings for the people that we've been working with. And that's everything from startup brands all the way through to hotels. So there's opportunities out there for everyone at the minute to find some efficiency without impacting people as well. So yeah, me and Chris often get together, chew the fat, set the world to rights so i don't think today is probably going to be any different so you know the way it'll work best is if you guys chip in and give us some perspective and some questions maybe help with some examples of how you're doing it in in the places that you work as well so really looking forward to it chris thank you very much so just to set the scene a little bit why i mean for those who have joined us on this call or are listening to this currently you're probably more than acutely aware of why retention is at this moment in time a a key topic of conversation but to give a bit of data or to drive this conversation explain really the need for this if you're not aware is that within hospitality our turnover rates are quite extensive. And when you compare our turnover rates to sectors like the finance industry, for example, where maybe 10 to 15% turnover is a reason to start looking at perhaps as an issue. In hospitality, according to Seven Shifts data, we have about 125% average turnover rate, which is it's quite shocking, really. And especially when you're talking to operators who go, yes, yes, I'm targeted for 120%, which means that it's already higher than that in order to be able to get down to a reasonable level. So it's just been chalked up to, and as Scott and I talk about, that's just the way things are, right? That's just hospitality. We have people come, we have people leave, 90-day tenure, we'll be lucky to get past that. But actually, in reality, we just need to be a little bit better, a little bit smarter. So we're going to explore some of those things today. The Burnt Chef Project has access to scientific data that we haven't published. You know, case studies that we've done with organizations. We've also managed to scour the internet and pull together about 40 different reports around different subjects around mental health, well-being, culture, leadership, turnover. So we'll be drawing on those today as well. So Scott, over to you first and foremost. I'm going to throw you straight in the spotlight, not under the bus, because that would just be harsh. <laughs> what is it, in your experience of working with organizations, what is it that first is one of the key drivers to poor retention? The thing that I see most often when I go into operations is overwhelm. I think that's probably the most significant thing that you see. And you find it a lot where we're not giving people the necessary skills to handle positions they're in, potentially. And then what we do from there on in is we just keep putting more and more on the to-do list. We create more admin tasks. We create more reporting. And all that does is it gets people into a scenario where they don't know which is more important. Is it the guest? Is it the people? Is it the admin? Is it the boss? Is it the finance guy? So I think certainly when I go into operations, we're looking at what the task lists are of the key people that are operating the business. And that's in terms of where our specific scope is. So I'll give you an example, working with a client right now, F&B manager in place. I literally shadowed that guy for about a week and looked at what he was spending his time on because he wasn't present on the floor enough. 
And we found out that there were so many manual tasks, there was so much reporting that actually meant he couldn't be there for his team and be present. So in the background going on with all this, there was huge sickness levels, huge turnover levels, obviously guest experience was being impacted. The first thing we looked at was how can we reduce the overwhelm, reduce the to-do list so that he can be more present on the floor so that he can start having more impact with the people who are fundamentally making the difference for the guests. So I think that's one place where I think we really have to understand in businesses where we can help operators create this admin, create these to-do lists and make it more efficient so that they can get back onto the floor with the people because that's where they can make the biggest difference. And it's interesting. I did a post on LinkedIn about the number one advice I give F&B managers is be present on the floor. And it's probably the third best performing post that I've had in a year and 850 impressions over the last year on LinkedIn. This is the third highest performing. So there's a motion. It's had 50 reposts. It's had comments. So people know it. We just don't allow the operators the chance to do it. And I think, you know, with lots of conversations around how tech can help with that, how looking at what those tasks are and actually do people read them? Do people find them useful? Do people really need to be doing them? Because fundamentally, your people should be on the floor with guests. That, can that's I, can I just ask? Was that a head office pressure for that person to be so admin based? Was it a head office pressure to actually, you know, have to do lots of reporting? Yeah, I think, you know, and I've said before, I think one of my biggest mistakes at some points when I was managing operations was when you're sitting in a head office environment and you're managing multi sites and you're managing lots of different units. Sometimes you want data overload because it helps you manage the business better. And you kind of forget what impact that has on the individual stores because you want your 10 penneth to be able to do what you need to do. You want to tell your CEO what the revenues were, which one's performing well, which ones isn't. And you kind of forget the time that all that pulls to bring it together, you know, weekly reports and all the rest of it. And I think a lot of it does come from there. A lot of it comes from just, you know, it's how we've always done it. And it's that good old term we hear a lot in hospitality, right? It's the way we've always done it. People sometimes don't want to break the trends. They don't want to look at new stuff. They're scared of implementing tech because they're not quite sure how that's going to make an impact on the business. And, you know, again, the example that I gave before, I've used it on a a couple of examples, but they were still running a manual process on purchase orders and inventory. What that meant was that these guys were at the end of the month for stock take were spending collectively as an F&B manager and a deputy manager around 30 hours to pull this information together. And when we went and then had the conversation with the senior team in the operation, my pitch wasn't, we need an inventory system. It's going to save 5% on your food cost. You're going to have a lot better handle on variance, et cetera, et cetera. My pitch was, if I take that 30 hours, give you two hours to do the stock tape because we implement an inventory system like market man, et cetera. Imagine what those managers can do with those 28 hours back on the floor with your teams delivering training, having meaningful conversations or just being present. That is the power of what that system will deliver for that business. So I think it's about really looking at what your managers and leaders are doing, looking at whether there's a way to make that more efficient, and then looking at whether it's actually important and read, because I'm sure there's lots of people on this call that receive reports every day or have done in the career. And how many times have they actually sat and given them the time that they're due and the time that their people have spent into putting them together. So I think if we're starting to look at why we have retention problems, I think that's one of them. But 
you know, we shared on the warm-up call the other day and Andrew's on the call as well. And, and we had this conversation on on his podcast is, I think, you know, fundamentally as an industry, we have an engagement issue as well. We don't engage our people properly when they come to our businesses. And I mean that for a number of different ways is we're very selfish as an industry. We want our 10 penneth from our people. And what we don't do is look at what skills we give those people as well. And then we don't develop with the time. We kind of sit a little bit back. So we don't like look at the at the generation and the workforce that's there right now and go, okay, how do we engage them? What keeps them engaged? How do they deliver every day? How do they consume content every day? How do they go about? What's their drivers? What motivates them? And adapt. And I think that's where, as an industry, the hospitality rising talk about it a lot, don't they, in terms of we have to attract people better by talking to them differently. And then when we get them into our businesses, we have to engage them better by giving them different skills than probably what we've had to previously. I've done a lot of talking, but me and Chris have talked about this a lot in terms yeah. of that as well. I mean, I think from a process point of view and from a procedural point of view, then I think I totally, I do agree that ultimately you have to start looking at these things. But what I think that we should also be quite mindful of is that there's also a psychological and a behavioral element to this as well. When you work in hospitality, we are programmed or we are fueled by making sure that other people have the right experiences and we're almost the power of saying no is something that we really, really struggle with, you know, being able to be able to say, firstly, no, I can't take on anymore, or I'm not able to do those reports, or I'm not able to follow that process, because I do not have any spare capacity. That's something that you won't often hear within a hospitality environment, because unfortunately, we'll just say yes, and we'll take on more and more and more. So whilst there's an element of saying, right, we need to look at the time demands that certain processes and, and policies are taking on our workforce. We also need to understand that actually we need to manage our team's expectations. We need to be role models in this arena as well. And we need to be prepared to say, okay, let's create some space so that we can have that time to create constructive and creative methods of being able to change the workflow, change the dynamics, change the way in which we handle things. Because quite frankly, that supply-demand equilibrium is just, it's not right. And it's causing an impact, not just on the processes, but it is causing that exacerbated turnover, which ultimately then leads to the skill gap shortage that we see within our trade, whereby you have operational teams, you have managers, leaders who have maybe never had any previous or prior experience to running an organization or to running a team being put into positions where now they are unable to say no. So they'll say yes, because they want to look after their team and support the organization. They're now running a department, they're running a hotel, they're running a team of five, for example, and they don't have the skills, the expertise or the ability in terms of experience to be able to manage that process. And that all again starts from that inability to sort of say no at this moment in time. So that has to start from the top. It has to start from the CEO level. It has to start by demonstration of example. But it's an interesting one that I think we need, we should be very conscious of that actually it's it's process, yes, you know, improvement, reviewing strategies, but it's also about empowering individuals and leading by example to make sure that they're able to to put that stock gap in place. You mentioned briefly as well about the onboarding process and the sort of selfishness of the industry just to sort of like get people on board. This is the way it is. Get on the floor, 
shadow this person for a day, do your stage, and then that's it. You're straight into the role. Congratulations. By the way, you don't get paid for that day. So what can we learn in terms of benefits of a good induction and the right level of communication and interview process and then the impacts that that will have on retention long term? I'm working with a SaaS platform at the minute called Blend, and it's been really interesting working with them because they are the same age as our workforce, the Gen Z. They've grown up in a digital world, and they're looking at how they can develop video-first content that's in short form. And their whole reason for doing that is because that is what our people right now are consuming content. If we all think about probably what we've done this morning, we've gone on Instagram, TikTok, all the rest of X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. And we consume data in short form. So if you bring your people into your business, I think we're in such an exciting opportunity right now because the workforce that are coming into the business now have never been more creative than they are today. That's a fact. So we need to use that creativity that they do every single day in terms of what they're doing on their own social media and in their own lives. And you know, if I look, my nephew, 13-year-old, gets much better views on Instagram and YouTube than I ever will. And he takes great pleasure in telling me, but we've got to use that creativity and we've got to fuel it and we've got to look at how we can get the best out of it. So if you're not doing that as an operator or as a training department or whatever it is, and you're bringing people in on the first day, and we all know that those inductions where you have to sit in the room all day long, you might get a nice buffet in the middle of it, and it's probably not that healthy, and then the lighting's terrible, and then you pull up a PowerPoint that has 45 slides on it. Those people are going to switch off because that's not what they do on a day-to-day basis. Their concentration isn't 45 slides. It's 30 to 60, maybe two-minute videos that short form, quick, snappy, to the point, and it delivers the message with impact. And then if they're interested, they then go and see how they can learn more. And they'll probably do it exactly the same way, but just consume 50 videos rather than one long video. So I think what we've got to do in terms of that is we've got to play to the skills of the workforce that's there. We've got to fuel that creativity and we've got to play to the creativity because if we can get them engaged by doing that, I think we have potentially one of the most exciting workforces that I've certainly seen in 24 years of working in hospitality in terms of what they can help us achieve as a business moving forwards. So I think it's, you know, I'd really encourage anyone to look at that onboarding process and really look at how that's being delivered and is it being delivered in a way that engages the people who are your audience. And that's just rule 101 of of any kind of content creation or engagement process, right? But I think there's a huge opportunity in front of us. I think the whole point about the psychology piece and understanding the generation is so important. And in both parts, the issue is we have with hospitality is we have a hierarchy. Yes, that's how the business is run and continues to run. They're not used to it. They've had a voice from the moment they've had a mobile phone. And so the key part of our induction piece isn't just what are we going to teach you about the company and what are our purposes, because they want to know that bit. Half the time is going to be what do you need from us? Because if we want the engagement, everyone's favorite topic is themselves. That's just basic human situation. So half the induction doesn't even have to be a slide. It's just a connection, especially after COVID. Let's connect. Let's see what they need from us and not make it about us, make it about them. And that engagement then, they will teach us as we go along. 
Yeah, and, and it's a very valuable point. Like, if anything, since COVID, we just want to be seen as human beings, right? And we had a lovely testimonial come through to us yesterday from uh, one of the users of our support system who messaged on behalf of her husband. But the volunteer on the other end of the line was just like, this must be really tough on you. How are you? And she took the time and energy and effort to go, I was seen. Someone saw me and that felt so good. And I wanted to share that experience. And I think it's often underrated. We work fast. We work hard. It's an incredibly, for anyone who's come outside of the sector into hospitality, you'll understand how quickly our industry moves and the pace and the ferocity that you have to work at it. But I think we do so at sacrifice of understanding that we are probably the most personable industry out there. You know, connection is what we do. And yet we seem to forget that with even the most important part of the hiring process, which is the interview and the onboarding process. So it's a really, really strong point, Michelle. Thank you. So the comments that we have, Michelle had mentioned the impact on distraction. Yeah, as one of the 100%. Comments. I've read Johan Hari's book, Stolen Focus, and that talks a lot about how distraction can have a huge impact on productivity. And I think it's back to that point of, making people do tasks instead of being on the floor. If there's a distraction there, they have to prioritize and that distraction takes time to get back onto the floor, doesn't it? So I think it's a huge message for me with whenever I go into businesses and work is looking at people's to-do list and looking at the impact of that to-do list. It's a good takeaway from that one for sure. Adam's written, from my experience, clients are willing to spend money and time on improving customer engagement and retention, but don't follow through on their internal teams. And uh, Karen agreed, focusing on guests and not the leaders slash teams. If I can jump in there, I think for me and my organization and what we do, it's about that retention and engagement from a customer perspective. So my whole business is focused on how the customer is feeling, how we make the customers feel as the end product. And we're kind of running the bath with the plug out because we they spend all this money and time on how do we get more customers in the bathtub and how do we you know have a better hotel, a more profitable hotel, a better experience and a better venue. But actually, we never look at how do we put the plug in the bathtub and go, right, how do we fix the problems? And some of the, the issues that we see, and, and there's marketing money there, they're allocating and spending to correct the customer attention element is completely pointless in some respects because they cannot back it up with the service they have underneath. So you, you need the kind of two things you need, the outgoing marketing side of your business to attract and retain customers, but you equally need that fundamental underpinning of your team, your staff, your engagement. So for me, this whole conversation about engagement retention is about engagement retention with customers, great, but it's about engagement retention of staff to deliver that customer experience is the most important yeah. aspect. 100%. Cause, and cause I was Sorry. just going to say half the time, if you've got staff that are providing a good service, the customers will come back because they want to see those staff members, 100%. won't they? 100%. It, it's it's the you... way, right? There was a business I worked in. The scope was about revenue generation. And we put the halt on the scope of being revenue generation for about two months because the people weren't ready for it. And we focused on the people for two months to get them in the position to be able to do it. it was, Adam's absolutely right. You you can't have great guest experience without people who are engaged in a team that are going in the same direction and, and passionate and want to do the best for the business. It's, it's impossible. So um, it's, 100%. it's also a hard sell there. Like you and I have spoken plenty of times, you know, when you go and talk about ROIs, you know that if you get an extra 50 customers in a week, you know what that ROI is based on your current workforce. 
there isn't necessarily a drive or a demand to be able to increase that workforce in terms of that ROI, although actually in terms of long-term sustainability and retention, you probably should end up with an extra 25-30% of your workforce. But you can see that direct ROI and you know that within a month, two months, the chances are you probably have more money in the bank, right, in terms of cash flow, potentially profit if people stop leaving. However, when you talk about long-term retention and ROI, effectively, you could be waiting 12, 18 months to be able to see that. And we are a very, very great industry when it comes down to being able to adapt and to be able to make sudden changes. You know, a table of 40 walk-in, supplier hasn't turned up, you know, the fridge has gone down. We will get that fixed. Someone's had a, you know, a bad day, we'll put a smile on their face. We're very, very good at that, very reactive. But actually, when it comes down to longer term strategy and pragmatic planning, when you're looking at things like ROI, often it's not the first thing we, we want to look at, which is we can quite clearly see the impact that that's, that's having. And all it takes is one organization to set the lead with that and go, hey, we started this 24 months ago. We've got 30% turnover rates. And there are organizations that we work with who do have just 30% turnover rates. Their longest serving member of team is there 55 years. Everything about the whole organization feels, it feels lovely. People are happy. They take time to talk to your day. But it's about being able to promote those and to be able to tell those stories and actually use that competitive element that we have in hospitality to work in favor rather than for those quick wins that, that might not necessarily lead to long-term results. Yeah, Kieran's written. Yeah, I was just going to say Kieran's just Sorry. written ROI takes time to see, but COI is apparent very quickly, cost of inaction. Sorry, Andrew, go, on, you, go ahead. I was just going to say, Chris, hopefully there's not too much background noise here, but with those businesses that you're finding with the 30% turnover rates, and it's something I see when working with people, it's getting that focus on the employee experience as equal as you know the focus is on the guest experience. And we're talking about retaining those customers. And, and like, like Adam said before, if we can get a happy workforce, that's the key to having that level of guest experience that keeps people coming back. Yeah. And... Do you know what? Often enough, when we talk about this, we're talking about ROI, right? So instantly you think that there's a big cost attributed to this. But Michelle's point was see people for people and have a human conversation. That costs nothing but your ability to give permission, one, for that individual to share, and two, for you to have permission to be able to create that space. But it's small things. You know, one of my tests when I go into an organization is I'll ask to use the toilet and I won't use the customer toilets, I'll use the staff toilets. If I can't turn around in that toilet and it hasn't been cleaned for the best part of three weeks and it's got multiple people using it, there aren't easy access to feminine hygiene products and, and deodorants and other things. It gives me a pretty good indication that actually the employees aren't the ones who are being valued, especially when you go into the customer toilets and they're lovely marble and everything's on show and it's all display. Ultimately, Sorting a toilet out will cost you less than a thousand pounds, but the benefits that that will give to the workforce just to go, bloody hell, I'm I'm seen. Oh, that you know that's that's a really thoughtful approach. Yes, if someone comes to them offers them an extra twenty k a year to work down the road for half the time, you might struggle. The toilet's not going to be the deal breaker, but it does build part of a larger picture and then sometimes we don't need necessarily to look at massive expense for roi right 
I use an example. There was a business that I worked in with Michelle and our like thing that we always drove was our customer engagement piece, which was five ECS. The first one was warm welcome. The last one was welcome back. And how many businesses transfer that into their people in the, you're absolutely right, Chris, the changing rooms or even a manager just saying good morning to everyone when they walk in and see you again tomorrow when they leave. And it doesn't have to cost a penny. How many times do you know the first impression of your business for your people is the changing rooms? The last impression is the changing rooms. So again, like you say, if they are right, then the first impression, last impression sucks. It's no wonder people are walking away on the tube and thinking, actually, yeah, it's a bit grim. So um, yeah. If you're enjoying this week's episode, consider heading over to our website and supporting our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental illness and creating a healthier, happier, and more sustainable industry by purchasing some of our branded merchandise. We have a whole range of t-shirts, hoodies, chef's jackets, well-being journals, plus a whole host more available on Worldwide Dispatch. All funds raised from sales of these items go towards free-to-access e-learning content, as well as providing free support systems and help for those who may be experiencing difficulty with their mental health. You know, and it could be, there's an organization that we don't work with, but one of our ambassadors does. And yeah, they're a very well-known organization and celebrated for things like culture and pay, which they've got really right. But there are small things that are missing. For example, there's nowhere to have a break. You know, they have to sit on a curb outside. And it's these small touches that despite the fact that the salary is higher than the the average within the hospitality industry, they're still going, yeah, but when it's raining, I get wet. And that's not cool. Like that makes me feel devalued. And it's it's just, it is these touches that are often so overlooked when we start looking at money and perks and these quick fixes that ultimately may not necessarily even relate to our workforce, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I used an example the other day where I think, you know, if we're looking at non-negotiables for people now, I think that's changed over probably since before COVID, pre-COVID as well. And I think, you know, no longer extra days, holidays and a little bit of healthcare here and there, you know, perks and rewards no longer are those things are nice to have. They're almost non-negotiable now. The nice to have bits are the bits that show you care. It's those meaningful conversations, those one-to-one chats, those chats about them, not about the business, soft skills. You know, what soft skills can you deliver or can you give to them over and above the hard skills that the industry teaches? Because me and Andrew had a chat about this as well is I don't think we talk enough about the skills that we teach people that are nothing to do with hospitality in this industry. And I think we are an industry that needs transient labor. We know that we need those people. And we don't show them the benefits of doing two or three years in hospitality while they're at university because of what that's going to give them to leave. So I think that's where I talk about we need to get better at attracting people by sharing the qualities that they're going to absorb by working in hospitality. All the things that you said, how to be reactive, how to deal with things under pressure, you know, not a word I like to use often, but how you can be resilient in times when things are tough. All those type of things that are soft skills that we don't talk enough about. And sometimes it's used to beat the industry with a stick, but they're so valuable in in everyday life moving forward. So I think, you know, that's that should be a big piece of what we talk about. We've got quite a lot of comments in the chat here. 
I, I'm not sure where to start, actually. I'll just I'll start backwards, actually. So Adam had written, it's about bridging the gap between employees being people who work for an organisation to employees are brand ambassadors for their organisation. And then that followed with from Andrew, just such a great strategy. If you have a team of ambassadors working for you, you will have people queuing up for to work in your organisation. And then Adam had written, retention works like respect on a commercial level. You can't force people or sell retention is the company's responsibility to earn it. Yeah. There was another good comment, actually, that I just I really want to share an example because it's real life that's happened to me this week. Andrew talked about one in terms of onboarding and benefits and bits and pieces. So I saw a post from a guy in Canada called Jensen Cummins, and he was talking about how he was getting loads of no-shows on interviews. And he was trying to work out why it was and just, you know, couldn't get a handle on it. He was arranging interview after interview and no one was showing up. So he decided to do like bulk scheduling of interview in the next week. But what he did is for every single person that was due to come, he did a video to them first saying, hello, my name's Jensen. Really looking forward to meeting you. I'll try and get the link and share it. Really looking forward to meeting you. This is how you find us because we're not that easy to find. And when you get here, come into the thing, ask for me, sit down, grab a coffee. I might be a bit late, but I know you're here and I'll come. His attendance rate went up to about, I think it was about 76, 77% of people booked. The week before it was about 10. And we had this issue in a business that was an operation I was working with last week. We tried it this week. Our attendance rate was 52%. It was zero last week. And literally the guy got on the WhatsApp, did a little video, very similar. This is the tube you get on. This is the line. This is how you find us. This is where you do. Might be a bit intimidating coming into the lobby, but when you do go up to the bar and I'll come and find you. And it was 52% attendance rate. So sometimes that just showing that you care, showing that there's a personality behind it can make a huge difference. And that was literally uh, yesterday. So that comment kind of lends itself to that, that sometimes it's not all about those obvious things. Sometimes it's just about the little touches that show you care and, and show you a little bit different that can give you the edge. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's something funny enough, something we did just this morning is we sent out all of our employees, like a little, uh, this is me questionnaire, which is designed basically to just ask them questions, not about, you know, what their professional qualifications are, etc. But what skills do they feel they'd like to learn more or what hobbies would they like to learn more about and how can we help them with that outside of the workplace? How do they like to learn? Do they like to be shown? Do they like to listen? Do they like to read? To really start to actually understand that every single person that works in this organization is a complete unique human being. And whilst there are similarities, there's no one size fits all. So to be able to start to use different mediums like the videos, like understanding that people might struggle to find the venue, that people might be flustered, maybe they're experiencing anxiety because it's an interview, it is a really, really important thing. And again, that requires space, it requires time, it requires that deep breath to be able to, to switch off. And that has to start with those leaders who are listening to this now who don't feel that they can put the ship down just in case it sinks. And it's that's a really, really important thing to do is to take that time for yourself. Otherwise, these opportunities won't happen. Kieran, you wanted to say something. You've got your hand up, I can see. Yeah, I think Chris has just made a really good point there. And one of the things that we do, we deliver leadership training. And before we even get involved in the program, get to the point of going and delivering it, we send out a survey, a type form survey, dead simple thing to every one of the learners asking all of those questions. How do you learn best? What's the thing that's going to resonate with you? Where do you want your information? 
nobody else who's delivered training for any of the companies that we've done it for have done that. And it just seems like such a simple thing that actually I'm going to pay attention to the people wants, needs, and what's going to really make it the most successful for them because budgets are tight and nobody wants to spend money. So let's just make sure it's as impactful as possible. And it just works so, so well. And listening to kind of that conversation about kind of giving people directions to the tube and stuff, it makes me a little bit sad that kind of anybody sitting there thinking that's kind of game changing because that's the basics. I made a comment at the yep. top that we should be setting people up for success in an interview process and we want to see the very best of them. Well, to do that, we take away every single bit of pressure and stress that they're going to be potentially facing before they walk through that door. Getting to the interview is the starting point for a lot of people, knowing which bus, knowing where's the best car park, if they're going to park, where's the cheapest car park for them. All the stuff that matters to you on your day-to-day basis, just do it. Just offer that information. And that's your starting point of retention. Yeah. Right. Andrew's got his hand up as well. Yeah, I think really what we're looking at here is developing those relationships with people and, and making those interactions we have personalized because that's really where we get the traction, where we as leaders can influence people is when we can show them that we genuinely care, we're creating a safe space for them. And I think everything in our industry, if we can do that for our employees, for our guests, whoever it is we interact with, we're always going to be on a better footing than if we are trying to achieve these goals on our own. And a lot of the conversation now today has been around how can we personalize things? How can we make things easier for people? And if we can make that our focus, I think we would see a shift in our industry. And, and yeah, I think it's, it's definitely about connecting with the person on an individual level. You notice how none of us have spoken about wage or salary or monetary reward at this moment in time, which, you know, there's still such a common misconception that that is what's driving turnover. But in reality, whilst people might say that they're leaving for more money down the road, that organization they've left and joined will still also feel that they've lost that individual within three, six months, perhaps even less if they're really unlucky. So if you are listening to this or you're part of this conversation, just understand that throwing money at a problem won't fix it. It's about the use of that money and where that money needs to go to. And often enough, it's not directly in the pocket of the individual because they just want to be seen. You know, it's such a underrated or underestimated concept that people just still struggle to get their heads around even now. Like you still have conversations with people offering 70, 80K a year for a job that they would expect 80, 90 hours a week from people. And I went for lunch with Simon Blake, who is the CEO of MHFA England recently, and I was asking him about his employee perks. And he said, yeah, we get about five, six weeks holiday a year, plus two week well-being weeks. And we work four days a week. And I said, okay, I'm curious. Why is that? He said, well, because Chris, people are human. And like the more time you give them off, the more productive they're going to be when they come back, because they'll have fresh ideas, they'll be creative. And he said, so why shouldn't people have as much time off as they want? Which is a really, really, it's such a fresh thinking. Could you imagine if an organization in hospitality gave their teams six weeks off a year? Yes, there may have to be some scheduling going on there and some expectations of booking that in advance, but you also get sick pay so that if you are off, you're not having to worry about your finances. You also get to do do a class once a month that actually improves your skills or your ability to learn perhaps a new qualification. And also your manager sits down with you and a coffee and chat isn't this big dreadful thing that you know you're going to get hauled over the calls for. But there's an opportunity to go, 
hey, how are you getting on? How am I doing as a leader? Am I doing okay for you? Like, is there anything I can do better? All of a sudden, you can start to see that people are nodding their heads on this call going, God, yeah, that's a great organization. I'd like to be part of that. And it's simple, right? It's simple, but we just need to be mindful of that. Um, Karen, you've got a question. I can see your hands up. So I've spent the last 10 and a half years working in the cruise industry on board ships in the HR operations capacity. There's similarities and differences. And one of the things with life on board, dealing with all aspects of ship life, so technical people, engineers, navigational officers, and the hospitality professionals, everybody's contracted to work 10 hours a day, seven days a week for periods of anything from three months to eight months. However, the culture on board is generally so, so positive because the focus is on the crew, the team members, as individuals, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their position, because in order to deliver the guest experience, if the onboard team who are going to spend anything from three to eight months on board are not happy, are not fulfilled, are not engaged, that cruise experience, so let's say the hospitality experience, is not going to be as it should. And I just find this conversation, there's, I've written pages of notes already, but it starts with the talent acquisition and the onboarding. A couple of times it's been referred to as a process, which, yes, it is. There's steps that you go through. But when the, the talent team think about it as an experience, it's an experience for the employer and an experience for their applicants, it makes a very big difference in the way they approach the process, let's say. So changing the mindset from everything being a process to being an experience can help engagement levels. And one very, very basic thing which has been introduced in the conversation so far, and it doesn't cost any money at all except time, is to engage with people, have a conversation with them and see them as a person as opposed to seeing them as an employee. And that can happen throughout every single day at so many opportunities. And after a while, talking to an employee saying, hi, how are you? How's your day? How was your journey? Anything other than talking about the work or giving them another instruction. When you finish this, please do that. The conversation, 30 seconds or one minute, can make a big, big difference to somebody's day and their mindset and their engagement. And when you do that daily, over a period of time, it starts to make a huge difference. Working on board the ships, the smallest ship had two and a half thousand guests. The largest ship had five and a half thousand guests and team sizes from just under a thousand employees to 1700 employees serving up to 10,000 meals a day. There's some real positive things about treating the employees as individuals and having a conversation with them. Thanks yeah, so, so much. much. So many takeaways from that one. Wow. That's mm. brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I mean, talking that mindset change in terms of experience instead of process, I think is a is a huge shift. You know, I grew up in hotels; everything was about process. We had a process, 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 process. To flip that mindset is really huge. And and you mentioned the other takeaway for me. Sorry to interject on it is time. We keep coming back to time, right? And it's funny, you know. Yesterday, 
I've got a, a four-year-old and a six-year-old. My six-year-old came up to me and he goes, Daddy, 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 if I make my bed every day this week, mummy's going to give me the gift of time. I thought it was my wife giving, like doing the cop-out of, okay, we'll just get him to make his bed. So I said to my wife, I said, what's this thing about gift of time? She says, I'm going to let him do anything he wants and he can choose and he can choose what is meaningful for him because that's what's going to drive him all week. And it really got me thinking about that gift of time. And, you know, it really can be powerful, can't it, to give our leaders the gift of time to use how they feel they should use it because that is true empowerment that can start all these meaningful conversations, experience, connection, et cetera, et cetera, as well. Just to add on to that, Now I'm in Abu Dhabi and I live in hotel residences. I've lived or worked or partnered with hotels for a 30-year career. And I sat and had a conversation with the general manager here just two days ago and shared some observations and feedback based on my experience as being a resident here. And one of the things, like I see by the swimming pool, you have the lifeguards and the towel attendants. During the day, for most of the time, because the residences is mostly for like professionals, you know, working people. So they're out most of the day. But the team sits out by the pool every day, you know, sets everything up. And then they just sit there and wait for somebody to come for like an eight hour shift. I go down and talk to them. And I suggested to the general manager, I said, you could give each of those individuals a tablet And they could do some development activities, some training in short bursts when there's no guests or something around. He messaged me this morning. He's already implemented that because it helps to keep them engaged and they're learning and they're developing, they're growing their awareness, whatever it is. It's all branded training from within the hotel group. But small things like that, people need to be engaged and motivated. And that comes in many, many different ways. Because their time was being eight hours a day, seeing nobody is not very motivating or engaging. No, and I think that as hospitality professionals, the onus is on us to be able to make someone's day when we are visiting another venue or having an experience, you know, whether you're on a flight or you're on board a ship. We were launching out in Toronto fairly recently, and every morning I saw the same employee working for breakfast and that same person was working there for lunch and dinner as well so it was quite clear that she hadn't had any time off and I just stopped her in a track said look I know you're busy I can see that and you see it overwhelmed but just tell me like when do you get time off and they were like well we don't and I said well you know, you've got a lovely spa on site that I've heard about. Do you ever get access to that? And she goes no we're not allowed access to that and you just I was like well how do you feel about working here and they went yeah, it's not going to be a long-term thing. And you just think that these small little things about being able to just create that space and have that conversation. Now, if I was a manager or a leader within that organization or anyone with any decision-making control, you'd just be asking those same questions and going, Christ, we've got something really wrong here. We need to we need to work on this. So just be more human. Like, we're not asking much from people. Just be more human. I don't know. I don't know. If anyone's interested, actually, I've got some data here from a a survey that we did. I can't tell you the name of the client, but we were looking at organizational psychology of restaurant group to try and find out what was going on underneath the hood, basically. And this is quite a lengthy survey that takes 20 minutes at a time. You know, it's based on about 60,000 data sets from a global benchmark. And it showed that actually serious turnover intention within the organization was set at 43%. So 
43 percent of 220 people were had already had their foot outside the door and were looking to leave the organization in terms of presenteeism risk so where the people were at work and they weren't feeling like they were able to perform at their best whether that was physical health issues mental health issues perhaps there was a cultural issue that was sat at 21 percent of the workforce so Overall, across 220 people, you were looking at close to £2 million in terms of lost revenue as a result of poorer performance, increased conflict, and serious turnover intention. But that came down to work engagement, lack of onboarding process, and also things like the general day-to-day job stresses. So we spoke to them about putting in place things like stress risk assessments within the workplace to actually start to work with the teams, given the psychological safety to be able to say, actually, I don't like it when or these things are impacting me. And we started to see quite an, a, a quick repair of that or a remedy of that. Unfortunately, those who are looking at leaving, it's very hard to be able to turn them away from the open door. But I think that what we did start to see is actually that by addressing and listening to the needs of the individuals, we start to see a huge, profound impact. Right. I think as much as we'd love to carry on chatting, we only have an hour for this. So we are going to have to wrap up, I'm afraid. Before I do that, can I just take a screenshot? Would everyone be okay if I just take a screenshot? Either turn your cameras on or turn them off, if dependent whether you want to be on this. It will just be shared on our social media as well. So everyone smile. There you go. I've just taken a couple there. So. Has anyone got any other questions at all for Chris or Scott at all that they want to ask before we wrap this up? Can I ask Chris, please, <laughs> if you could only give me your email to get in touch with you? Yes, yeah, certainly. After yeah. the meeting? Yeah, I'm an academic yeah, and uh, I'm interested. My research is on retention of chefs. And the reason why I joined was because I knew that uh, you would be <laughs> here. So uh, I would like to talk to you about the research which is not the traditional one. <laughs> okay. But yeah, by all, all right. means, I can share any research pieces that we've used during the development of our work as well. So they might be able to support your work from that perspective. So yeah, I'll put that in the chat for you now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. It's been a really good in conversation and I think maybe we need to revisit this again in a few months' time because there's a lot to talk about. I I had a whole list of things that I could possibly ask and didn't get a chance. And there's been a whole heap of chat in the chat room as well. And I apologise if I haven't managed to say all your comments. They were fast flowing. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Like I said, this will be on demand on our website soon. So for anyone that wants to re-listen to this, and I believe that Scott's going to be reposting this in conversation as well, and Chris as well. And if you have any questions afterwards that you would like to send to Scott or Chris, then please do send them over to me. You can email them over to me. I'm emma.ellis at instituteofhospitality.org. And please do fire over some questions if you'd like me to send those over. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Okay, and thank you, Chris and Scott, for giving your time and having a a really good conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye.